Just want to say thank you to those who, who prayed, uh, for those of us who uh, were able, had the privilege of going across to the regions beyond uh, uh, UK hub uh, in London. Many of you will know, if you don't know, we are very much part of New Frontiers as a family of churches. New Frontiers then multiplied into lots of families, uh, with, as it were, one father in Terry Virgo, then having sons and sons multiplying. And so we're part of a family, a group of churches called Regions Beyond. And uh, two or three times a year, all the leaders, those who can, come together in different parts of the UK to pray together, encourage one another, share what's going on. And we were able uh, to be, uh, some of us able to be there this week. And I have to say to you, thank you for releasing us. Thank you for releasing me to that. I find it so helpful myself. It's so provoking, it stimulates my thinking, it uh, provokes me, it lifts my head. It doesn't matter where you are, whether you be on an island or in a small town or village or in a big city, you can get locked in where you are, and when you get into that kind of context, what it does is it lifts your head, and it reminds you of the bigger picture that we're part of. And I just want to share for a, a few moments, in case you're wondering when's the sermon going to start, it's already started, okay? So... Uh, We are going to look at Nehemiah. We're starting on a new series on Nehemiah. But I want to share some things that give a context as we walk into Nehemiah. And we're going to go through Nehemiah over the next weeks. But Steve Oliver, who's very much a father for us in our family, our movement of churches, gave some reports of things. I I dropped a couple of those onto the uh, electronic news that most of you get this week. If you you want to know what's happening in the life of the church here, if you want to be in touch, please do go on the website and just sign up for that because that's becoming very much our supply of, of information and dates and so on, just so that we don't do too many notices here on a, on a Sunday. So do sign up for the electronic news. But Regions Beyond as a family is growing rapidly. It really is. So in the last year, in this last year, across our family of churches, so it's not just the UK, we have planted 32 churches. 32. Now, this morning is a morning to start getting a bit excited, okay? So you're allowed to clap, and you're allowed to ultimately, primarily, give thanks to God. 32 churches in a year. It's been a very significant year for that. Added to that, over the last couple of years... Um, a further 36 churches have been added, been added in. Churches that perhaps were already established but were isolated on their own, maybe drifting, looking for fellowship, looking for relationship, and they have joined in, which currently means, I think, uh, although it's changing every day, because every day Steve keeps being told about another church. But on Thursday, anyway, on Thursday, it was 176 churches across 31 nations of the world, which is just astonishing. So um, one of the things, uh, Chris, we're going to need to redo these maps, okay? So uh, I've already got a plan. I'll be talking to you. Because I don't know, there's, there's definitely not 31 nations on there. But... Uh, Everywhere from UK, India, Africa, Philippines, North America, South America, uh, the Middle East, um, more than once, I heard uh, there are some countries, but we can't name them, (laughs) Uh, which is amazing to hear. That means there are places where the gospel is not welcome at all, legally not welcome, and yet 
we are seeing churches being planted and established in those kinds of places. And you can think about those both in the Middle East, you can think about those in the Asia and the Pacific Rim. And some of those places will be places uh, which we, we, as we're recording at the moment, I, I won't mention. But we thank God for what's happening. God is at work all over the world. Um, also, locally, things are happening. Next week, uh, Ashley will be speaking. Jackie and I have the privilege. We're going to go over and be part of the launch of Trinity Church Littlehampton, which is wonderful. You can almost see Littlehampton if you go to ride somewhere around there and sort of look in the, on a bright, sunny day. Um, interestingly, 37 years ago, Jackie and I met in Littlehampton. So, <laughs> not, not 37 years ago today, but in August. But we were on a Christian youth camp. We were 17. And uh, actually, we met on the River Arran. So, uh, we splashed water at each other. But anyway, that's another story <laughs> for another day. But uh, Littlehampton is somewhere we, we were involved in many, many years ago as a youth camp. I actually did open-air preaching in Littlehampton High Street as a 17, 18-year-old, which is amazing to think about now. So we're going to just go and bless the church in Jubilee Worthing as they plant out Trinity Church, uh, uh, Littlehampton, which is very exciting. There are others in the pipeline. So people were asked, so Richie, you know, many of you know Richie was the, the pastor here before, before I came along. Richie stood up and just announced that they are planting next year into Crystal Palace which, uh, for any of you who know Richie well, is very exciting um, because uh, he's a bit of a Palace fan, um, and certainly a lot of the people in that area are. But, uh, so that's exciting. Um, Swindon, another, of course, where I came from, have just announced that in 2020 they're going to plant into Royal Wooden Bassett, which uh, some of you will know, right there on Junction 16, a growing town. No, would you believe, no real evangelical expression, long history of church breakups and things, but they're going to plant into Royal Wooden Bassett. So uh, it was lovely the way they announced it. He said, we've got no leaders, no building and no money, but we're going to plant. And I, I just, and I, I want you to remember that because I think sometimes we can go, oh, we need to get it all sorted and all ready, but actually God is on the move. He gives vision and sometimes as he gives vision, we need to step out in that vision and then the Lord will supply. But it's not until we're by faith, Abraham left even though he didn't know where he was going. He began to walk, okay? So just hear some of these things, because I believe that's what God is saying and doing with us also as a church. Just this week, uh, while we were actually there in London, Steve got an email from a couple who he's known historically, I think, who were in America, and they've, he, they wrote to him, they've recently moved to Tennessee. They bought a large house, it's got its own grounds, and they said, we bought this place intentionally because we want to plant a church. Do you have a couple you can send us? Um, so if anyone wants to go to Tennessee, there's, a, there's, a, there's an open offer. But he's getting emails like this almost every week at the moment. Even while we were praying, we were there praying, and you know where it says in Acts, it says, the Holy Spirit said... We've talked about that a bit before, haven't we? How did the Holy Spirit say? Well, there's prophets, there's teachers, there's the, the sense of God's hand. But even while we were there praying together, we felt God say together, Birmingham, the city of Birmingham. Um, no, no plans for Birmingham, no necessarily any people or, or finance or certainly no buildings. But God begins to say, 
Birmingham, great city of Birmingham. So again, who knows, maybe God's laying that on somebody's heart today. Obviously, this kind of growth has some challenges, (laughs) as you can imagine. Communication, how do we keep in touch? How do we keep in touch 31 nations of the world? How do we maintain this togetherness, this, this family this family life together. Well, we have to, we thank God for social media in these moments. Thank God for WhatsApp and FaceTime and, and Skype and all of those things because there's a lot of that going on. But also, we just have to go across the room. We have to go across the world at times to find each other. And so that is happening. It's what God has said to us that we're to, we're to find each other and go towards each other. So there are conversations going on about teams of leaders all over the world coming together, finding each other. And I know for myself, I'm going to need to do that as well. I'm going to need to both welcome people here, but I'm going to need to go and and be with others and be a blessing to them also. So that communication is a challenge. But there are videos, increasingly, which we're trying to share, and I'm sharing. You'll know that through, again, the electronic news um, there are electronic uh, news in themselves, little newsletters, which I'm trying to attach to everything we're doing. There's also a new website, so uh, as soon as that comes, I'll let you know about that. But multiplying leadership is a core part of this around as well. And I want to say to us, as we think of that, of that aircraft carrier, with all its resources, as we think of that overflowing bath, that God who says, I will supply. You think, where are the lead- where's the Tennessee couple going to come from? Who's going to plant into Birmingham? The answer is that some of us are part of that. We are the answer. And so actually, we've got to begin to say, Lord, here am I. Send me. You say, but I've come here to relax and rest and, uh, and, you know, and just have a slower pace of life and all the rest of it. But I want you to hear today, not all of us will go, uh, not all of us will be sent, but actually we are in a movement. We are in a movement. We're in a movement that's on the move. And so leaders are being raised and we want to see many more raised. And so teams are being raised. So more and more, these countries, these continents, these nations have now got their own teams Steve is one man, he's needing to release teams all over. You'll see in a bit how these things interrelate into Nehemiah in a while. So this is why I'm sharing some of these things. There's also a new team now here in the UK. So there's a team of leaders gathering to Steve. They're going to meet month by month, praying for us as churches, but not just praying for maintenance, praying for momentum, praying for movement. What's God's got next. So I guess they'll be getting a map out of Birmingham very soon. Anyway, and of course finance. Finance is a core part of all of these things. We recognize that all that we have comes from God. We as a church, along with many, many other hundreds of churches, are committed to giving a a good percentage of our income. So as you give in faith, yes, we use uh, um, money to keep the lights on here and to obviously to pay the likes of my salary, to reach out into the community in ways that we are. But we also give away a good percentage. We give it away into this work of momentum that we're part of. So we're giving it away. We're trusting apostles uh, and senior leaders among us to distribute that, just as it happened in the book of Acts. 
We bring it to them. We say, we trust you to distribute that to see 36 churches, 32 churches planted, another 36 added. They need support and encouragement. We're giving into that monthly. But also you will know that as churches, we take up a special offering each year. We, an offering that is used not just to maintain what is going on, but also to seed into advance, really, to see things advance, to see things release. So a planting into Birmingham is going to need a pot of seed to get it going. Planting into Tennessee, there's a couple who've gone, clearly spending their own money, but you want to send others, and it, it could be anywhere around the world, some of those countries that we can't even mention here today. Uh, so we give a special offering into that. Now, I want to tell you a quick little story What happens each year is the global team, leaders from all around the world, come together, they pray, they seek the Lord, just like you would see in Acts, and then they they say, now what if we can plant some churches, if we can go to the next nation, the next country, the next town, what sort of finance will we need? And each team from around the world will put in a figure of, of advance, if you like, and they'll put in some money for advance. And uh, last time, that figure, this is a special offering, remember, this is not what's coming in regularly, month by month. They put a, together a figure of 175,000, which uh, they felt was challenging at the time, at the nature of the ch- where the church was at. But in the end, when everything was gathered in, that came to 220,000, which is amazing. Well, last week, literally last week, uh, sorry, not last week, the week before last now, because last week I was in London, the week before last, they gathered again to do the same exercise. Remember, we're now 176 churches, 31 different uh, nations, countries, there's a lot more happening. So Steve was very honest. He said, I was a bit in trepidation. I've got a blank flip chart. And so he says, Asia, India. So what sort of figure do you think? So he writes the figure. North America, what do you... Uh, Philippines, what do you know? And all these countries, Middle East. What, what do, and they, they put all these figures on the flip chart and then they added it all up. And uh, it came to 320,000. And... Uh, Steve was so honest before us. I love the vulnerability and the honesty. Steve said this. He said, when I heard this figure, he said, I felt my faith falling. He said, I felt my faith falling. And he said, I actually heard myself say, my own voice, we need to reduce that. We need to reduce that. But he said, then, he said, I got set upon by the other leaders. (laughs) Leaders from around the world challenged him, provoked him. They provoked him about his lack of faith. And they said, no, we can do this. We can do this. And in fact, they took an impromptu offering right there, I think, in the room. They said they they took an an impromptu offering and £30,000 straight away there in the room. And uh, But he said, still a lot of money. To come in. He said, I came to you this morning and he said, I felt God just say, I've been challenged about my faith. And so he said, I took a deep breath and I've come to London to share with the brothers, as it were, and sisters in the UK to tell you this figure. 
I want to tell you something that happened. I don't know if it was Monday or Tuesday, and I don't know if it was Trevor uh, Payne or Steve Oliver, one or the other, but they received this week, just gone, an anonymous gift. This gift said, there's no strings attached other than it be used for the work of regions beyond, for the extension of the kingdom, church planting in that sense, to be used for regions beyond. Anonymous gift. Do you want to know how much? A hundred thousand pounds. One gift. We're going to start looking at Nehemiah in just a moment. You know, there's a phrase that gets repeated over and over in Nehemiah. The hand of our God was with us. The hand of our God was with us. We will take part in that offering. I want us to do that February, March time before the end of our financial year. Give you a heads up. We'll mention that over and over. Now, you see, we can say... That's going to be a stretch, Mark. It's a challenge. We, we've got a building funds. We've started the work. There's going to be another offering at some point to carry on the work because we've only just started, really. There's vision that we have for that. It's not just to have a fancy building. It's a vision for this community. It's a vision for this town. It's a vision, I want to tell you, for this island. We need to start with this community. We need to start with this town. But I believe we're to be an island church. It's one of the things I want to share with you again on the 21st, our 10th anniversary. And you can say, another offering, another offering. There's more we want to do. I want to say this to you. God is not asking us to do what we can't do. But he is asking us to do what we can do. I want you just to hear that. God's not asking us to do what we can't do. We are the church that we are. We are the size that we are. We're not that big church over on the mainland in some city or other. But I want to tell you, sometimes in that big church on the mainland, in some city on the mainland, sometimes it's a big place, but it's a place where people hide. They sit on the edge. They sit on the fringe. Sometimes it's in the smaller, so-called smaller place that actually God will do what he will do where he wants to do it. I want you to hear that. I want you to hear that. Because sometimes you can say, oh, we, we are just. Let's not use the just word anything anymore. We're not just anything. We are who God has called us to be. You are who God has called you to be. He's not asked us to do what we can't, but he has asked us to do what we can. And Nehemiah and the people, which I'll read about in just a moment, got caught with a vision. It was, on the face of it, it was impossible. Impossible, the state of Jerusalem and its walls. Basically, there was nothing left. There was nothing there. And there's a remnant, as that wonderful old-fashioned word, there's a remnant, a tiny little group. That's all that's left. And you look on the face of it and you say, we're just. But I want to say, overarching, the hand of our God was with us. And what a hand. What a mighty, mighty, vast hand. In a moment, here comes again. 100,000. Do with it what you want. 
It's not without its challenges. We'll read in Nehemiah, significant opposition. But we shall see they had a vision. They knew that they were about a great work. And uh, that I felt, uh, even on Friday, was the... Uh, I, I think I came up with another little title that I put in the news a couple of weeks ago. But just this week as I've been away and God has lifted my heart and my vision as I've gone again into Nehemiah. It, Nehemiah says at one point, he says, no, we're about a great work. And so that's the title that I want to put over these words for, for Nehemiah in the, in the coming days. A great work. So first Nehemiah and then the people catch a vision. They passionately wanted God to have the glory, and so they gave themselves to it. And as they gave themselves to it, the hand of their God was with them. I'm going to read in just a moment from Nehemiah chapter 1. You can turn to it if you'd like to. I just want to give you a very quick overview so that you get a sense of the picture, and then we'll read from Nehemiah chapter 1. This is the year 445 B.C., Alright, so it's coming right down towards the New Testament times. It's right near the end of the Old Testament. Much, of course, has happened in the previous hundreds of years. King David has come in. He's built, um, established Jerusalem. The temple has been built by Solomon. A great, vast, amazing temple. Then a succession of kings come and go. Prophetic books are being written God's people are not doing very well. They keep turning away from God. They keep turning away. There are moments when they come back to God, but then they turn away again. And as a result, they get into more and more trouble. Eventually, Jerusalem is destroyed by the Babylonians under that very famous king, Nebuchadnezzar. And the Israelites are taken off into captivity in Babylon, and of course you'll know the story of Daniel, and so on. And there, they fall even further away from God. They intermarry with foreigners of other faiths. They fall deeper and deeper into idol worship. And all the while, Jerusalem and the temple of God is left in ruins. Total ruins. And then we get these two men, Ezra and Nehemiah. They appear about 70 years after all of this has happened. It's actually understood by many scholars that when we say turn to the book of Nehemiah, we should actually say turn to the book of Nehemiah Ezra or Ezra Nehemiah. That It's quite likely that it was all written on one scroll. It's about them too. It's their story uh, together. Ezra writes about the rebuilding of the temple and Nehemiah writes about the, the, the build, rebuilding of the city walls and the repairing of all its gates. And we will allude to Nehemiah as we go along, but it, uh, to Ezra, but it's Nehemiah that I particularly want us to camp in over these next few weeks. So let's, let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 1 and uh, let's, let's read. Father, we just thank you for your words. We thank you that you are building your church. Lord Jesus, you are glorifying your name here on this earth through your church. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us through your word as we read it for the sake of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. The words of Nehemiah, son of Halakiah, 
In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant, that little, little tiny group that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive. And your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. For I was cupbearer to the king. Chapter 2, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine, gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. The king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. You're not supposed to be sad in the presence of the king. All right? You're always supposed to have a smile and you can lose your head for not smiling. <laughs> I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins? Its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my fathers are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when would you get back? So I realized it pleased the king to send me, so I, I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asap, king of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the city by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. Because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests so I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sambalit, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, they were very much disturbed 
that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Here is a God-fearing man who's living in exile. And we have this wonderful phrase, the hand of his God was with him. He has this significant position of honor. Indeed, he's highly trusted. He's cupbearer to the king. It's a highly trusted, because if anyone's going to be able to get to poison the king, it's the cupbearer. You know, this is about as high a position as you can potentially get. Ezra tells us, if you go back into Ezra, that God had already begun to move the hearts of previous kings, such as Cyrus, to allow people to begin to go back to Jerusalem. And to try and literally pick up the pieces and begin rebuilding. But it was very challenging. There was a lot of opposition and it had all been going very slowly. Into the frame steps Nehemiah. And he meets up with some friends who've come back from the area around Jerusalem. He's questioning them and he discovers that although people have started to go back to the area, the city of God is in total ruin. And that particularly the city walls have not been repaired, the gates are burned, and they could be invaded and overpowered from any direction. I want you to note this first thing. Note his first response. His first response is to weep over the state of the city. This is the city of God. This is the city of David. This is the place of promise. This is the place where the great temple that Solomon had built, where the Ark of the Covenant was brought, where the dwelling of God was with men, where God came down in all his glory, where the glory of God was so present that the priests literally could not perform their duties. And now it's desecrated destroyed, literally raised to the ground, utterly destroyed. And it says, Nehemiah broke down and wept. Literally, it says he mourned and fasted. I want to have a quick question to you. Have you ever had that response? When you look at the state of our nation, when you look at and you think of the state of those who are lost, those who are living outside of relationship with Jesus... How do you respond? When you hear of churches that were once thriving, Christians who were once running strong with God, now fallen, broken, churches shutting, how do you respond? I believe that we, in these days, we need to continuously ask the Holy Spirit to soften us, soften our hearts, to shake us, that we might begin to cry out to Him. That we might cry out to him for the state of our nation. Cry out to him for the state of those around. That we might recognize the need for God's inbreaking freshly in individuals and, and corporately and nationally. This is how Nehemiah responds. And it says, and God heard his cry. God heard his cry. He broke down and wept. He prayed. He cried out to God. And note, I want you to note where he starts in his prayer. O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Okay? He declares the greatness of God. just want to thank Steve and the team today just for lifting us into the greatness of God, the majesty and the glory of God. And we need that. 
Well, this is where Nehemiah begins. He doesn't begin with his need. He doesn't even begin with the state of Jerusalem. He begins with the greatness of God. And that's where we need to begin. Constantly, he declares his nature and his character, his covenant of love. Then, he recognises his own sin. He recognises his position. He's still not asked anything. So he starts with God, the greatness of God. Then he looks at himself, recognises his own sin, the sin of the people. We'll probably unpack some of these things. We'll come back to them. I'm just trying to give a bit of an overview. I was reminded immediately of Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. What does he say? My eyes have seen the glory of God. And so he recognizes who God is and he recognizes his own state. And then he reminds God, as though God needs any reminding about anything. Um, But really, it's not so much a reminder of God, it's a declaration. It's declaring again, oh God, don't you remember that? It's a declaration. God, it's always your heart to gather It's always your heart to bring your people back again. It's always your heart to bring them into worship, back into close and intimate relationship with the true and living God. just want to say to you, for some of you, hold on to this important truth. It is always in the heart of God to gather. It's always in the heart of God to bring back. You say, I long for my son, my daughter. I long for my neighbor, my friend. They were once walking with the Lord. They're far off. Nehemiah is reminding God of his heart. Father, as it were, it's your heart to gather. Won't you gather? It's in your heart. So I want to encourage each of you, if there are are those that you know and love who who are far off, who've drifted away, come to the Lord again. Remind him, but also remind yourself of his heart. It is God's heart to gather. It's his heart to gather in. So he reminds God of his covenant promises. He cries out to God for that relationship to be restored. And then he finishes by asking that he might grant him a favor. I want to ask you another question. When did you last ask God for his favor? I'm not talking about prosperity. I'm not asking... Uh, about asking to have a Porsche like Cush's one. When did you last ask God for his favour? What am I talking about? I'm talking about the hand of God breaking in that God might do what only he can do. Oh God, that you would do what only you can do. The favour of God's. You see, I know with Steve, Steve's heart, when he, when he first saw that figure of 320,000 for the special offering, yeah, I, I'm there with him. It's like, you know, I, he knows something of the churches. He knows how people have already been giving faithfully. And it, but it's one of those moments, Lord, if it, only you can do this. Only you can do this. And then, bang, the very next day, the favor of God's. When I believe for myself, I'm always when I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself first and before anybody else. I felt God was saying to me, when did you last ask me for, for my favor? 
that I might break in in a way that only I can break in. When we grasp the vision, the purposes that God has for us, when we begin to cry out, I believe we also can begin to ask and ask with expectancy. I've shared with you before, but I was very challenged by one of our senior brothers in New Frontiers many years ago, a dear man called Ben Davis, went to see him as we were setting out in the church at Swindon and just getting going and we were struggling and we had some challenges and, and, and he said, Mark, he really provoked me, James chapter 4, Mark, you don't have because you don't ask. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> you don't have because you don't ask. It's not for myself, but you have a God. You have this incredible aircraft carrier resources. You have an overflowing bath But as you sometimes heard that story, you're on the cruise liner, the ticket's been paid, and you're sat over there with your sandwiches. It's like floating along beside the aircraft carrier in a dinghy. Mark, you don't have because you don't ask. I believe we need to begin to start asking God for some big, hairy goals, you know, some big, hairy things. It's challenging. Some people will misunderstand it. Some people, as you'll read on in Nehemiah, will go, what do you think you're doing, your little apex church? Even little foxes could tear that down. What do you think? Who do you think you are? Don't you know our God? Don't you know who he is? Don't you know the call that is upon us? Not asking for ourselves, but favor from the sovereign hand of God, so that God might have the glory, that his kingdom reign and rule should be seen and known. That that which is broken and lost might be restored and revived. Then favor begins to flow in all sorts of ways. And it says, I was cupbearer to the king. God had already been working his purposes out. He's positioning Nehemiah for this moment. Think of Esther. You know that phrase, don't you? Who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Nehemiah's cupbearer to the king. He's absolutely positioned by God. Joseph. You see, he's in prison. What's he doing in prison? He's being positioned by God. Daniel, in the lion's den, in the fiery furnace. What's going on there? He's being positioned by God. I believe some of you here today need to hear this. Whatever position you're in, you're not there by mistake. You're not there by mistake. Some of you, God has begun to move you. He's putting you into a new position, maybe a new job or a new situation. I believe in the sovereign hand of God. I believe you're not there by mistake. So I want you to be ready. Having called upon God, he's given favor by the king. Do you hear that? What is it you want? What is, the king, what is it you want? Here's the aircraft carrier. It's absolutely rammed. Here's the overflowing bath. It's completely overflowing. Now, what is it you want? I want to say something to you here. When we start to ask God in this way, we shouldn't be surprised when he begins to answer. We need to be ready to know what we want to ask for. You hear that? It's very sad. Oh, you're right. Oh, no, I'm sad about Jerusalem. Well, what would you like? Oh, I don't know. Um, uh, oh, let me think about it. Moment's gone. Moment's gone. What is it? Let's, let's begin to ask God 
Lord, what's on your heart? What do you want us to ask you for? Let's pray some prayers like that. Lord, what do you want to ask us to ask you for? What is it you want? Well, could I go back to my home city in Jerusalem and rebuild it? Oh, you can, you can feel, he's feeling his way, isn't he? He's watching the king's face. Maybe he's watching the queen's face. I don't know. All right. Uh, could I have a, a letter to travel safely? Um, okay, the door seems to be open a bit more. Um, um, could I also go to your forest and get all the wood that I need for the repairs of the wall and to build a house for myself? You know, he's like, how, how, how much can I push this envelope? What's the response? The hand of our God was with us. The king granted all my requests. And he sent soldiers and commanders and others. In fact, if you read Ezra, you discover that the king starts supplying gold for the temple. Here, have, this is a pagan king. Have some of my gold to build your temple. You read in Ezra, it's astonishing. I'm running out of time. I promised Ruth I'd be finished by 12. Ah, Lord. Um, right, stop talking and just do. <laughs> Individually and corporately, some more, I'm going to come back to some more of this on uh, the 21st, on our 10th anniversary, so it's okay. Individually and corporately, there are things I believe we are to come to God for to ask for his favour. I believe we're going to find ourselves with opportunities to speak to others and to ask. I'm going to say it out here now. English heritage, the local council, local businesses. I believe there are going to be moments when we're going to be in the right place at the right time and the question's going to come, what is it you want? We need to be ready. We need to know what it is that we want and to ask. And I believe the hand of our God will be upon us. There will be battles. There will be opposition. There will be struggles. Undoubtedly, you see that. We'll come to that in Nehemiah. It's real. But the hand of our God was with us. Goodness. Um, okay. No, don't even look. Right. I, I want to honor Ruth and the children. They've been all down the road and they come back up the road. Please stand up. There's more in my notes, but God knows what was the right thing to say this morning. Just as we finish, let me pray for us. I'm going to be bold. I remember I'm speaking to myself, praying for myself before anyone else. I believe for some of us, God is positioning us, getting us ready for his purposes. I think of dear Kay and all that God has taken her through. She's learned in, in Bernardo's and so on. And then there's a moment that comes now. Here's the window. Here's the moment. It'll be true for some others of you. Some of you need to be ready for that. For others of us, we've, we've got a bit complacent. We've got comfy. We're we like being here and it's all good and it's great and we've played our part but I believe the Lord wants to stir us and, and put fresh vision before us. He's inviting us to run again, run again in his purposes. I believe that there's a vision. 
that he wants to clarify and crystallize. And so I want to encourage you to be ready to hear from the Lord. Be ready to be led by the Lord. Have your hearts open. I believe he's looking in these days for a church and a people who will say, Here we are, Lord. Use us. Here we are, Lord. We want to be useful in your purposes. Lord, we look at our nation. We look at this island. We look at this town. Lord, we cry to you. We know the need. We know the need. And we say, Lord, would you come upon us, strengthen us, speak to us, lead us, guide us. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Take us forward in these days, we pray. In your precious name. Amen. Amen.